Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 281, and we are continuing our restaurant storytelling series. Today, finishing up at least this portion of Disney Springs of the landing area, talking about the Edison. But before we do that, we want to hear a message from our sponsor. Yeah, so today we wanted to mention our travel agent sponsor, Hannah Little, who is with Creating Magic Vacations. If you are looking to go to Disney, Universal, SeaWorld, really any magical place, you should go to littlebitofdisney.com. There's a form that you can fill out with the information you know about your trip, and then she'll be in touch with you shortly after that to help you plan your trip. There is no cost for you to use this service, which means it's totally free. And the good part is it will make your life easier. So again, to connect with Hannah, you should go to littlebitofdisney.com or click the link in our show notes. A couple other pieces of housekeeping before we get started is we were a guest on another podcast that just released today with our friends Danny and Tony from Mouse Park Insider, and we were ranking all of the water rides in Walt Disney World. So boat rides, water rides that you get wet on, anything that you can imagine, we ranked them. And we had a super fun time chatting with them. You may remember them as a guest on our podcast back in the day. So we were happy to go be a part of Mouse Park Insider. And then set your calendars for this Thursday night, the 27th. We will be having our live show to preview the month of June. So Hannah joins us for that. And so we go through everything that you can look forward to if you're visiting the parks in June Something makes me think that we may be talking about Avengers Campus quite a bit. Avengers Campus, Velocicoaster, because I feel like we have to throw that in there. I mean, there's a lot of exciting stuff this summer. So those live shows take place both on Facebook and on YouTube simultaneously. So you can like us or subscribe to us on either of those two platforms, and you will get the notification whenever we go live on Thursday night at 8 p.m. Walt Disney World time, Eastern Standard Time which a lot of you ask still, are we used to Eastern time? The answer is no. Yeah, just to put that nail in the coffin, it is playoff season right now for hockey. And on Thursday, we were nervous that our live show was going to interfere with our viewing opportunities until we learned that we got the blessing of being able to watch our home team at 9.30 p.m. So... Super excited about that. We will be absolutely dead on Friday. Don't try to reach us on Friday. No, just let us sleep. Let us be. So we're looking forward to that. But our topic today is continuing this restaurant storytelling series. If you are new here, what we have been doing is we took a look at Disney Springs as a whole and the backstory that the Imagineers provided to us for this fictional town of Disney Springs. And then we've been focusing and narrowing in on this portion of Disney Springs called The Landing. And honestly, I didn't expect it to take this long for us to get through it, 
but it there are some really rich stories and i can say as a matter of fact that almost everywhere that we've discussed the next time that we went we enjoyed it so much more so we've covered jock lindsey's hangar bar gideon's the boathouse paddlefish did i miss any others Yes, Marie and Enzo's. Marie and Enzo's. One of our favorites. Yes, so there's a couple more that we're not going to talk about necessarily in this series. We may mention them. Uh, We can go ahead and say that now. STK is part of the landing area as well. It does have a representation. It doesn't have necessarily a story that goes with it. It does represent trains. So... The landing, if you remember all these discussions that we've had about here, the landing is representative of the transportation district of this fictional city of Disney Springs. So STK solves the train portion of that. And if you want to see the connection to it, I think there is some nods inside. Honestly, we've never been inside of there. But out front, they have a, what do you call that, a switch track? Like the circle? Yes. So basically where you would expect to see um, it makes me think of like Everest where you can see the track, you know, flip basically to go from one to another. Same thing applies to trains and you can see that there. I feel like in a previous episode, I misspoke because I thought that it was over by Gideon's and it's not. So I knew it was there in the landing, but it was just a little farther down. So it's right in front of SDK in between SDK and Maria and Enzo's and, and the Edison. The Edison, yes. So let's get out some of the key facts about the Edison before we get started. It opened on New Year's Day 2018. People around Orlando, if you were following the news in 2018, you may remember that this was a restaurant that saw a lot of delays. It kind of became a running joke at that time of when is the Edison going to open. They missed the mark by somewhere around four to six months. It was supposed to open initially in the summer of 2017, then the fall of 2017, and then they they eventually were able to get it launched on New Year's Day 2018. Now, you can't mention delays and talk about this restaurant that is part of the Patina Group, which we talked about with Marie and Enzo's, and not look at them right now with some of the other things that are going on. Does that make you think of anything else? I mean, of course, you have to think of the famed Space 220 in Epcot. Will it ever open? Put your money on the table right now. Will we ever see Space 220? Yes, it's going to open. I feel like it's had a lot of hurdles. Um, We always make fun of things that are delayed right now for many reasons. We're a little bitter. We feel like some of them are made up. Some of them are probably accurate. But nonetheless... It is delayed. I think we're going to get it eventually. And I think it'll be awesome. It has to be. It's a Patina Group restaurant. So you know the food is going to be outstanding and expensive. But we'll go because we'll be so excited. I feel like, I mean, Future World definitely needs another table service restaurant. Um, Does it have any? Yes. Coral Reef. Famed restaurant. Not in... Does that count as Future World? Yeah. Really? Until you get to World Showcase, that's Future World. So the whole front of the park is Future World? Correct. No. I think so. Okay. I guess maybe I learned something new today. I mean, it's, I feel like it's kind of an in-between area, but... I, yeah. I kind of thought it was two separate spaces. I guess you're right. 
But it seems odd to have the sea and the land in Future World. I mean, it's probably one of those things like Storybook Circus. Like, it's part of Fantasyland, but it's kind of its own thing at the same time. Okay. Well, then I would definitely have to agree. It needs something. If the electric umbrella ever comes back, will that be your go-to spot in Future World? You know, I feel like growing up, I really enjoyed the electric umbrella. And then we went later on together, and I was severely disappointed. So I kind of wish that it was still open right now so I could give it another shot, because I would give it another shot. Uh, But it was disappointing the last time we went. So staying with that New Year's Day theme, the Edison has had different parties two of the years of its existence. So in 2019 and in 2020, they did have New Year's Day, like roaring 20s, great Gatsby style parties. Now, Way this to make makes me swoon. Yeah, that speaks truly to you, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, if I could have been born in any other time period, which I know is crazy because then you have like the Great Depression and who wants, you know, <laughs> who would want to be a part of that? What a drag. I know. It's, so unfortunate, yeah. But, I mean, I just love it. The Great Gatsby absolutely ruined me. And I was going to bring that up. I do think it was fitting that they ended up opening on New Year's Day for purely that reason. I feel like maybe that's what they were going for the whole time. Maybe they're just trying to build anticipation and media hype because that that is the opening day. It makes sense. It does. And it was pretty well received whenever this restaurant opened. I, It's honestly really hard for me to get a pulse on how the public feels about the Edison now. I honestly feel like it flies under the radar a lot. And I kind of view it the same as Maria and Enzo's. It's good. It's very solid. But it gets outshined by some of these other, you know, really hard hitters in Disney Springs like the Boathouse, Paddlefish. and Homecoming. Homecoming. And Wine Bar George. Oh, yeah. And Raglan Road. So how... I'm trying to think now chronologically because I'm very bad with dates. But was... I mean, this was open before Homecoming. I'm trying to... Was it? I don't think so. No? Homecoming is older than 2018. Well, maybe that... Okay, then maybe that's why then. Because some of these others were definitely before. Boathouse was definitely before... Paddlefish is newer, but it made the switch over from Fulton's Crab House. So, I mean, maybe it just hasn't gained quite the traction that some of those other restaurants have. You know, like they do have a cult following. Maybe this will get there. Homecoming opened in July of 2016. Wow. I I truly did not think it was that old. They've been slinging biscuits, thigh-high chicken biscuits ever since. Oh, Bless them. Thank you. So truth be told, we have actually never had a normal setting meal at the Edison. The only time that we've been here is actually for our very first Florida Thanksgiving. We went to the Edison and had our Thanksgiving meal there. They participate as well as some other of the Patina Group restaurants and other restaurants around Disney Springs property in the prefixed Thanksgiving menu festivities, and we didn't want to cook a turkey for two people. And so three we, people, my sister. Well, I have to figure she would fend for herself. 
not at a family holiday. So we went and had it at the Edison, and it was excellent. It was very good. Now, you know, truth be told, it wasn't our first choice. We really wanted to try some of the other more uh, festive, festive Thanksgiving meals, but we were so pleasantly surprised. Of course, we loved the atmosphere. Our server was great. Um, they did. They did have a live performer that night. They did. And in November of 2020, that was rare. That was some of the first live music that we had heard in a very long time. Honestly, it might have been the first. So that was very exciting. I mean, it was a great time. I definitely want to go back. It seems like a place where you would want to go on vacation, for sure. It does. So let's get into the story a little bit. And then at the end, we're going to talk about the menu and just breaking that down a little bit so you can have a better understanding of what they have to offer there. But the story of this building and of the Edison goes that it was originally a working electric power plant that opened in 1901. Now, 1901 is significant to the Walt Disney Company because why, Catherine? Walt Disney was born. Correct. So probably... An intentional choice. Probably. Definitely. Everything is intentional. And I think that's really cool that they were able to do that. When the power plant went out of business about 19, give or take a couple years later, into the 1920s, they transformed it into a restaurant and entertainment space. And that's where we visit today. So they have not updated the decor or anything from the power plant since then. Everything is still in this roaring 20s, steampunk, fully operational electric power plant setting. And if we are talking about storytelling, I do think it's worth a mention that like the hostesses and not necessarily the waitresses, but definitely the host, um, they wear like 1920s clothes. Like they are completely dressed up. Think about the sparkle, heels, the whole thing. It was awesome. Even on Thanksgiving. Lots of sequins. Sequins everywhere. And so just so we have our timeline in place, and I think it gives us a better understanding of the Edison, the fictional backstory of Disney Springs starts around the 1850s or the 1860s. That's when the settlers first found the springs and where they first started settling into Disney Springs. They started in the village center area, which is really where the um, guest relations area is, that would that would be what's considered the oldest part of Disney Springs, of the city, and it spreads out from there. So we can see kind of that it took around 40 years before they get to this landing area. And there's two different references that we know of some of the first places to come into the landing. First one we already talked about was Lindworm, Books and Antiquities, which is now Gideon's Bakehouse. We know that Jonathan Limworm immigrated from Hungary in the late 1800s, got to Disney Springs in the early 1900s, and that's when he opened up his shop over there. And then now we have this reference as well in the early 1900s of businesses and places of work and industrial uh you know, settings taking place in this area of Disney Springs as well, specifically in the landing. So just so you can kind of get your mind around it, Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar is a little bit later. That's the 1940s. And 
that's that's pretty much a lot of the dates that you would need to know for the landing, wouldn't you think? Yes, and I do love the thought. Now that we're tying some of these other things in, we're talking about Jonathan Lindworm. I love to think that he was living in this time period. I mean, I do think it just solidifies that I belonged there, and I I think it's a good setting for his story. I don't. I mean, we probably mentioned it, but just bringing it up again makes me think about you know all his little quirks and how I think he fits well into that period. When we talk about some of the other connections and specifically in the timeline to other restaurants that we've talked about, the biggest connection to the Edison is Maria and Enzo's and Enzo's Hideaway. If you remember our Enzo's Hideaway episode, we know that this was a speakeasy that the employees from the power plant would go partake in after work drinks, festivities. So it's during Prohibition. It's set up for him. There's a little bit of a discrepancy there. That's our only issue that we found is that we know that Marie and Enzo didn't immigrate from Italy until the 20s. And normally we think about it being the late 20s when Marie and Enzo came. So there's a little bit of a gap there from when the power plant shut down, supposedly in the early 20s, to then whenever Marie and Enzo got there but we're going to give them a little bit of a grace period. And maybe my theory would be maybe that's the reason that they had to shut down the electric plant is because all their workers were too busy trying to get down to the speakeasy and cut their shift short. Yeah. I mean, or maybe, maybe it was an abandoned power plant and, you know, all the workers just knew it was there and they knew the tunnels. So maybe there was some sort of connection there with how, they were able to kind of sneak down without being caught. It's a bit of a stretch. It is a bit of a stretch. And the other possible explanation is that they really don't say that there was a any grace period in between the power plant shutting down and it becoming this restaurant and entertainment space. So it could have been that it was the workers for the restaurant and entertainment space that were coming down to the speakeasy. But I think it's cooler to think of it as the blue-collar you know, electric power plant workers, don't you think? <laughs> it's a it's a more fun story. Yes. So, of course, they do share this underground tunnel. We mentioned that in the Maria and Enzo's and the Enzo's Hideaway episode that you, when you go to the restrooms at Enzo's Hideaway, you're actually walking to the Edison to go there. And that is the coolest part about the connection between these two restaurants is that it's not just a fictional tunnel that is connecting these two, but it is a real tunnel that you can still experience today where you can, you know, you can walk the tunnel and it is quite literally a tunnel that looks like you should not be in there. But You thought it was a backstage area, didn't you? Yes. I mean, it very much looks like a backstage area. It does not look like you should be there, but that's where they told us to go. So if you happen to be in the Edison and you want that feeling of being in the 1920s and going to find your hidden speakeasy, then go for it. Look for the, just walk right past the bathrooms, go through the door that looks like you shouldn't be going through it. Now, if you see a kitchen, turn around. I was going to say, I don't know if there are multiple doors. I didn't really study it, but you know, you can go through there. And then even the room that you go into when you get to Marie and Enzo's is like a little enclosed, uh, like wine cellar. 
which is awesome. I mean, way to just hit it home, Disney. So the backstory of the Edison really transforms into the indoor architecture and layout of this space as well. So the Edison is gigantic. You can probably tell that from viewing it from the outside, but it does have a lot of little hidden rooms and it's somewhere that you could easily get lost in as you're walking around. It is multiple stories as well. And then of course they do have that tunnel in the basement. So it, it is a big space. So I want to talk about each of these spaces. We don't necessarily have a story that goes along with each space, but we can kind of deduce how the power plant was laid out and then how they flipped it into this new space. So we'll start with the place where we ate our Thanksgiving dinner. It is the performance space, and it was formerly the lab. And so this is in the bottom floor of the restaurant. There's tables that are kind of on what looks like a dance floor because that is what it will turn into at night or whenever they have, you know, it does sometimes turn into a 21 plus uh, area after 10 p.m., I believe. I don't think they're doing that right now, but for future reference, they have done it in the past is what I'm saying. And so that was the lab. And so they have a stage there. They have all kinds of different equipment, but it's more just a an empty kind of floor. But above, they actually have some of the old equipment. And that's is that trapeze or what? Like aerial type performers could be there. Yeah, I mean, they have the bars for what I would call trapeze artists for sure, which we did not get to see, but that would be so cool. Next, there are three bars in the Edison, and their names are the Ember Parlor, the Telegraph Lounge, and the Tesla Lounge. And so all of these have really cool artifacts and Prohibition era, uh, you know, props and atmosphere to go along with them. The Ember Parlor maybe makes you think of some sort of like furnace or something along those lines. Telegraph Lounge would maybe be the communications department. And then the Tesla Lounge, that's, you know, obviously that screams electricity. So hopefully you see some sparks and different things in there. But again, we even made the comment for when we were there for Thanksgiving about there are so many bars here that once bar seating comes back in a more traditional fashion, this would be an excellent place that you could go grab a couple of drinks. You could probably grab dinner at a lot of these bars as well because they all have seating for mm-hmm. them as well. So it, again, from the outside, it's pretty unassuming. You don't realize that they have three full service bars in there. And even some snacks. We're, we're not going to talk about the menu just yet, but we did have some really cool appetizers that were not Thanksgiving themed. Next, they have two luxury sitting areas. So they're basically, these are areas that are near the bar and they're set up where they have, you know, big comfy couches, places where you can grab your cocktail and then go sit and hang out for a little while. And so they have the radio room and the patent office. So I think those are probably pretty self-explanatory, but, you know, the patent office has all kinds of documents on the wall for things that they were working on. The radio room, of course, has all the radio equipment in there. So just nice little sitting areas, which again is something that you don't necessarily see in a lot of restaurants. Yeah. And then lastly, they have the waterfront patio. And we actually didn't go out here, but now I've looked at pictures of it. It is a beautiful patio. 
Well, and to be honest, I did not know it was back there until we were in the restaurant. I I mean, maybe it's just very well hidden from view, but when you think about patio seating, you know, you would think about the boathouse or um, Jacques Lindsay's hangar bar, even the paddle boat. But paddlefish. Oh goodness, the paddlefish, but not the Edison. And it is fun to know that they have a patio out there, and that's just an extra option. Does Marie and Enzo's have a patio next door? They had like a teeny, tiny little outdoor seating area, although I honestly don't know how often it's used. Like, do they seat people out there? Is it just for show? Is it to, you know, not draw attention to the fact that it's a whole awesome tunnel bar and restaurant? It's very unassuming is what I'm trying to say. And then one of the bars, and I think it's the Tesla Lounge, kind of backs up to the outdoor patio as well. So they have indoor and outdoor seating at that one. Mm -hmm. So they're all, I mean, seven cool, uniquely themed areas that I honestly feel like you could even do a little bar crawl within there, you know, hop from one bar to the other and get a view of the entire building along the way and then go through the tunnel and get a drink at Marie and Enzo or Enzo's hideaway on your way out. Yeah, or even just explore, walk around. We've had a lot of good luck, you know, just walking around restaurants. I know that sounds weird, but I feel like, you know, at Disney, they kind of expect it. You know, when we went to Yak and Yeti, the waiter encouraged us to because I wanted to go upstairs. Brendan said no, but then he saw the dilemma that we were having and encouraged us to do it. So I feel like it might feel awkward, but you're not going to be the first person to ever just want to walk around and look at everything. Probably other people don't have as bad social anxiety as us. So That's probably true. So maybe that wasn't even a thought that crossed your head. But if it is, go for it. So let's talk about the menu. And I know most of you, if you've been to this restaurant, you've probably seen it. You've probably seen it on Instagram. The clothesline candied bacon as an appetizer. I feel like that is what I see most often tagged whenever someone goes to the Edison. Because it's so unique. Like, it is a cool kind of centerpiece thing. Uh, This is not the appetizer that we got, but we saw a lot of other tables get it. It's $18 for some bacon. I would probably get it, truth be told. If you give me a drink or two, I'm probably going to want some bacon on a clothesline. Um, But I can't attest to it. I've never eaten it. So the description of it says maple, black pepper, fruit, mustarda, sweet, and spicy pickle for $18. Now, the appetizer that we got, a very festive Thanksgiving food, the Electra fries. Which is exactly what you would think. It's basically loaded cheese fries, and they were awesome for the low, low price of $16. That is something that you have to keep in mind for the Patina Group restaurants. They're they're not cheap. They are a higher end type restaurant. But I, you know, you get what you pay for. It's good food. I will say that. We're going to breeze right over the salad section. I, you don't care, do you? I I don't care about a salad. So, they have some patented specialties. So again, we get that patent reference on the menu. Queen cut prime rib, a boneless 14 ounce. Uh, prime rib with a popover that comes with it. That's probably what you would get, isn't it? Correct. 
a Barolo short rib, rack of ribs, salmon, mahi-mahi. Pretty standard stuff, but they are kind of spruced up and elevated to that next level. Now, the last one on here I think is very interesting because I would not have expected this to be under a specialties list, but it's a tomato soup and a grilled cheese. Now, it's a fancy grilled cheese. Fontina, Munster, Gruyere, and Alpine Swiss on buttered sourdough. With the Dijonese spread. We must be looking at different menus. You think so? I'm looking at the Edison menu. Well, I would say that's pretty accurate. I'm looking at DisneySprings.com. Well, that, I mean, that seems accurate, too. Well, they must have just forgot about the Dijonese on this one. I guess so. They do offer some burgers as well. Kind of, it is, It's a They're blend burgers. of sirloin and short rib and brisket, so it's probably a very delicious burger. That's $25. So could be a lunch, a, a fancier lunch than what you're looking for. And then the patented partners, they are side items. They have hand-cut fries, creamy, dreamy mash, and the vegetable of the day. Now, is three sides really enough for this restaurant? I think these would probably fall into the category of being like shareable sides because when you get an entree, it comes with other things. You know, like the salmon comes with roasted potatoes. The short rib comes with glazed rainbow carrots. You know, so it's not like they're just giving you a hunk of meat and then <laughs> like, okay, good luck. So I think these are more shareable or maybe if you were with a picky eater, I'm not sure. It does seem odd because typically when you have shareable sides, like you would expect like a mac and cheese and, you know, Brussels sprouts, maybe. I don't know, like something else, a little more. If we move on to desserts, I have heard really good things about their caramel apple pie a la mode. So cinnamon gelato, large sliced apples, and fall flavored seasonings and caramel sauce. Why do they say fall flavored seasonings? It's cinnamon and nutmeg. Yeah, why don't you just call it like it is? Fall flavored seasonings. I know that's Maybe very some vague. pumpkin spice. Do I mean, they it, not know what it is? <laughs> I wonder if that's what the label says. Fall flavored seasonings. And then uh, you would probably be getting the triple chocolate voltage cake. Probably. It is definitely a chocolate lava cake, which is the one thing that I love just as much as ice cream. Chocolate hazelnut cream, chocolate crunch, chocolate ganache, raspberry. Sounds great. If we move on to drinks, they do have some mocktails as well, which I always love when they really take time to think about mocktails for those who don't want to drink. So they have an apple propellant, apple cider, honey, lemon juice, and ginger ale, and amyli, lemon juice, simple syrup, mint, and soda water. And then a smoke and mirrors, which sounds really cool to me. A pineapple juice, lemon juice, lime juice, and orgat. I don't know or, what that is. Orgate? Yeah, I don't know what that is. I've never heard of that. It sounds, it sounds kind of scary. Yeah, but I do like a smoky pineapple flavor, I think, is something that goes well together. Now, one that you didn't mention that I see on my menu is a cobbler crush. What is that? It says it's cranberry juice, apple juice, and then a handcrafted cinnamon syrup. Okay. I don't know. Uh, and then just quickly, some of their signature cocktails, they do have a their own take on a Manhattan, a Manhattan West. The Tesla has bullet bourbon, old camp peach pecan whiskey, 
green chartreuse and simple syrup. That would be what I would be getting, I believe. Okay. I get anything with bullet bourbon in it. I'm trying to figure out which would you get. Probably the time turner. Oh, wrong. What would Strawberry you? Fields Forever. Oh, okay. Although it does say vodka. That's a little, little iffy. Uh, but honey, lime juice, strawberries, mint, lemonade. Sounds pretty good. Now, something that is interesting. I'm not sure if your menu says that at the bottom with a little asterisk, it says indicates that cocktail can be made into a punch bowl for the low, low price. Do you have this on yours? No. Okay, let's play a game. How much do you think this punch bowl is going to cost? How many people does it serve, does it, it say? It doesn't say, but it's a punch bowl. $45. $100. Oh, my. <laughs> okay, so if if um, time travel or, you know, rapid travel ever comes available, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get the $100 punch bowl, and then we're going to zap ourselves to Avengers Campus and get the $100 sandwich that they are selling, and we're just going to be fat and happy. Oh, my. Yeah, if we could make it, we're going to need that sandwich first. <laughs> Soak some of that up. $100. How big is it, do you think? Like, I'd, I'd when they say punch bowl, I'm thinking like a wedding where it serves 20 people. Like some, Yeah, something that you would see at like a like an old dance or something, like an old Disney Channel original film. They're scooping it out of the punch table. Yeah, it better be huge. They do have some vintage cocktails as well, which are more just like, these are your standard cocktails. So a Sazerac, a Mai Tai, a Paloma, a Whiskey Sour. Are you looking at the space where it has a fashionably old corner and they're old, old fashioned? They're all old fashions? No. They have a s'mores old fashioned. So you don't like... I don't like that, but I want to like it. Okay, now S'mores. we got to go back. I Maybe didn't. these are at different bars. I'm not sure. Could be. But it's pretty cool. So wh- after reading the menu, what would you say... What kind of restaurant is this? I honestly just think it's a themed restaurant like it's not a steakhouse would you say no i would not call it a steakhouse um just like american classics is what it seems like yeah i honestly don't even know what category to put it into because it just kind of seems like it has a little bit for everyone that everyone in your party would be happy um and i think you know that might honestly be why it gets overlooked too because just looking at the menu unless maybe you're looking at the cocktail menu where it has so many cool choices, you know, the menu itself is kind of like, okay, like I could get that somewhere else, you know? So it might just not appeal to, to someone. We didn't talk about the prices of the entrees. So let's go back. The queen cut prime rib is $42. Salmon, $31 short ribs, $38. So dinner for two with drinks, you're over a hundred bucks. Easy, especially if you get a punch bowl. Oh, well, <laughs> but if you get a dessert or an appetizer, or both, you might be pushing one fifty. Yeah, so it's not it's not a cheap meal. We kind of said that we knew that. Uh, just looking at the facade, too. I mean, it's a nice looking place. 
Now, I know we try to stay away from food reviews, but I'm just interested. At that price point, could you ever justify going here over the boathouse? Or do you think if you're going to spend that much money, what I'll say about the boathouse is that you have a lot more, they have a lot more sandwiches and salads that you can choose from if you want to go cheaper. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the expensive steaks, the Gibson steaks, if you want that, or the expensive uh, catch of the day and fish and oysters. They have stone crab when it's in season. If you really want to go out, but they do have the cheaper options as well. The Edison is kind of like, unless you want a burger, you're spending at least 32 35 bucks for an entree. Yeah, I mean, that's a hard question, honestly. I feel like if you were coming, if you're going out for like a special occasion and you really wanted to dress up and you wanted an experience, I think the Edison is a really cool place to go. You know, if you just wanted to go all out and maybe not feel out of place, I feel like if you were to dress up, you know, if you really wanted to dress up and if you went to the boathouse, you could feel out of place because there is such a range there. I feel like here at the Edison, it's a good fancy place. The other thing that I wanted to mention is, did you see they actually have another Edison location? I did not, but... The website that I'm looking at is called theedisonflorida.com. There's one in Los Angeles as well. Ooh. And it looks to be, I dare say, even more themed than this one. Wow. Patina Group? Correct. Yep. Okay. I mean, the Patina Group has restaurants all over the world. Yeah. And so they took this same concept, and I don't know which one opened first, to be honest, but there's an Edison in Los Angeles as well. I like that. That's pretty cool. So another thing I did think worth mentioning, if we're talking about going here, the Edison does have a dress code. I can tell you from firsthand experience, I was in dress code. They don't check it. And that is true for many, many restaurants on Disney property. I was going to say, you know, if you're at Disney and you're on vacation, we do look like when we go to different places, but I don't think anyone would ever say anything to you because you I mean you never know something could have happened to someone's luggage or maybe they didn't look it up because you're on vacation or a family member booked the reservation and you didn't know I would have a very hard time believing that you would ever get a you know a hard time based on what you're wearing but technically yes so I'm actually now seeing two different snippets on dress code based on the Disney Springs website, and now on the Edison's website. The Edison's website makes it seem like you only have to be in dress code if you get there after 10 p.m. when it turns into 21 plus. So men may wear slacks, jeans, or dress shorts. Jackets are optional. No ball caps, sleeveless shirts, or flip-flops allowed. The other one didn't make mention of the time. So maybe... They're relaxing it, and they just haven't updated the website. Or That makes sense, though. You know, if they're going for, like, a certain feel at night, past 10 o'clock. Well, in most of these restaurants, I think they have to understand a lot of... They're getting people coming from the parks. Mm-hmm. People don't want to go back to their hotel before they go to dinner. So... So you get what you get. Correct. Here I am. Feed me. You can You can wear a ball cap as long as it has Mickey ears on it. 
That's the rule. <laughs> so any other thoughts on the Edison? It's it's not a really deep story, but I do think I guess the last conversation to be had is does it fit in the landing? I mean, I it's not transportation, but when you think about the other parts of Disney Springs, I would tend to put it here, I guess because it is industrial and it does still have the same feel to the outside of the building. Because it even, you know, I guess technically that Morimoto's isn't part of the landing, correct? I think it is. Because that has the same kind of feeling as far as the building. Because it was supposed to be an old bottling plant. Yes. So, you know, for that reason, I would say yes, it fits. But that might be about it, you know? Regardless, I like it. Yeah. It's easy to overlook, but I do really enjoy it. Again, it's one of those, if you need a restaurant reservation, always look at Open Table. They are always there. Probably for a lot of the reasons that we already mentioned. So any other thoughts on the Edison? And as we probably, potentially, close the chapter on the landing area of Disney Springs. Oh, man. I mean, I, I do think this is probably one of my favorite parts of Disney Springs. For the theming, for the use of space, you know, I love all the outdoor patios. I love that the stories are pretty seamless. And with this area in particular, I do like that the timelines match up. I like the idea of Jonathan Lindworm existing in the same time period as um, the power plant where the Edison is being held and Maria and Enzo's. I just, I like the overlap. And I think it makes it more fun just being in that area. Even if I weren't eating in the Edison, just walking through this area, maybe to go get a cookie or some coffee, whatever it might be over there. I do think it's, it's nice to be able to think about that. I would agree with that. So next in Disney Springs, we are probably not going to focus on any lands because the landing area has the most kind of cohesive story but we can give a little spoiler ahead to some other locations that we know have a deep and rich backstory. Probably the most important one to the story of Disney Spring is Amaretz. So we'll be covering that in an upcoming episode. Little spoiler, there are two sisters who started Amaretz. Fictional sisters. Fictional sisters, of course. Fictional. That we're going to pretend are real. So we look forward to sharing that and other stories along the way. If you have any restaurants that you want us to dive into and research and bring out the story, we know that Main Street Bakery is on our watch list right now. And Charlie Car Cafe, we may do a full episode on all of the Starbucks locations to get the stories of all of those. And we look forward to having that. If you have not already, please reach out to Hannah Little. If you are looking to book at Disney Vacation, you can go to littlebitofdisney.com, fill out that free quote, or click the link down in the show notes. She is wonderful to work with. We highly recommend her. She is helping us get on, hopefully, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, the Disney wish next summer. We so. hope. We're looking forward to that. We thank you guys so much for listening. 
We will chat with you later this week. Again, we have the live show on Thursday. Hope you can join us that 8 p.m. Walt Disney World time. So I hope you have a great start to your week and we will chat with you real soon. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.